Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Look at the week. Take seven days of the week. And considering that seven days, what do I do in seven days that matters to God? Because we all do stuff every single day. But think about in the scope of my life, how much of my life matters in eternity? How much of my life would God look at and say, that matters, that matters, that matters? Because y'all know there's things we do that don't matter. And you got to make sure that your life does not comprise primarily of things that don't matter. You know, if your life is 80% hobby and the Lord get a tithe of your life, that's a wasted life. Are you living your life to its absolute fullest today? Do you even realize what it means to do so? Nowadays, there are so many different things that we can fill our days with. Work, social media, that brand new TV series that you just have to binge. Let's face it, with so many choices, it can be easy to accidentally start neglecting God. Pastor Bill's heart is that you become aware of these distractors now so you can live a more fulfilling life later. Are you prepared to address the distractors in your life today? Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Judges chapter 7 for today's edition of The Transforming Word. I think God has a sense of humor. I think that when we get to heaven, we're going to realize that God's got jokes. That, that God does something just to, you know, I can't explain this. I don't even know if I were getting it. How do you tell the guy? Hey, guys, line up here. Everybody, your, your stuff, everybody's ready for their battle assignments. They're ready to, you know, my helmets, my shield, my spears, my, whatever you get back then. And they get, here's your, here's your trumpet. You like that one? Does that suit you well? Does that fit your lips all right? Here's your torch. Here's your, here's your, your picture. But God knows what he's doing. Amen. God knows what he's doing, but it don't make sense in the earthly realm. Uh, only, only in faith. It doesn't make sense any other way. And so everybody gets their torches inside their pictures. Verse 17. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord in Gideon. So he says, hey, guys, I'm out here with you guys. We got three. We broke up into three groups, probably, you know, have them from each angle. And he says, when, when you see me step up to the edge, you guys do the same thing. And when I tell you to everybody, blow your trumpets on every side of the whole camp. And I want you to yell out the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Now, I thought it was interesting that he said, yell out the sword of the Lord and Gideon. It's going to need to be the sword of the Lord because they ain't got one. So uh, but he says, I want you to yell out the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp. And at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they posted the watch and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. So, again, under the pitchers are torches of fire. It's nighttime. It says when they blew the trumpets, they're going to crack these pitchers and there'll be torches flaming, flying. It says in verse 20, then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They had the torches in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hand blowing. And they cried the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Now I want to say this about the vessels right down. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seven. It's, I think it's a play off of this, but it says that. Just like these vessels, these earthen vessels were broken open that the light might shine through. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, but we have this treasure 
in earthen vessels. Why? That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. God said, why do, you, why do we have treasures in these earthen vessels that we are? God says that when, that when I bring it forth out of your life, that the excellence will be of God. It wouldn't be of your own. And it's the very same thing we see happening here. Why does God do it this way? Why do these men just have a torch and a trumpet? And they're going to you know, break the pitcher and let the fire shine and blow the trumpet and yell the sword of the Lord and Gideon. God says, I did all of this. All right. He told us in the beginning so that when this is done, the glory would all come to me. People would know that I'm, I'm with Israel, that I defeated the Midianites on their behalf, that I'm the one that did it. And it won't be for the glory of man. It'll be for the glory of God. We, again, I, I just want to say this because we live in a society that's it's really messed up in this way. And I think our kids many times are messed up in this way, in the same ways where I think we live in a prideful sort of society where we even encourage our kids in that pride. You know, there's a pride in, you know, what we accomplished. Parents can be proud of their kids. My kid did this and my kid accomplished. And I, I know we can be proud of our kids, but I see a lot of even Christian parents raising their kids up to be prideful. We got to teach our kids to glorify God. We got to emulate that for them, that the things that God does in our life that we glorify him for. When Susie or Jimmy does a great job on something, you want to teach them like, hey, you want to, you know, we, we celebrate that. It's a big deal. We're proud of you. We want to glorify God. God bless you. Tell them. Tell them God bless you. Everybody doesn't have that kind of mind. Everybody can't do that. God bless you to be able to do that. Make sure you give him credit for that. Make sure you glorify God for that. It can be in athletics, you know. And we all know that with regard to athletics, some kids try as they may, they ain't got it. You know, so if you got if you got it, then you want to glorify God. God's blessed you. You know, make sure you give him some shine, give him some glory, give him the credit for whatever he's doing when it comes to the work he's doing and spiritual things through your lives. Glorify him in it. Give him the credit. God's I went through all this trouble. I got this army out here, 300 against 135,000 with torches and pitchers and trumpets. I did all that, God said, so when it's all done, the, the glory, would they would know that it was the hand of God. And so many times in our lives, God is saying, I've, I've done many things that the glory would be of me. Make sure that he's getting the glory from your life. The Bible says that we should do our good deeds before men in such a way that what? They would glorify, they would, they would glorify our Father in heaven. That men would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. How are they going to do that if you take up all the glory? Right? If men see your good works... And they say, interview, hey, how, how'd you get? Well, you know, I just, I practiced a long time. I'm, I'm in the school for this and everything like that. You know, how God ever get the glory? You got to give it to him. God gets the glory because we give it to him. And when people come and celebrate you, yes, give it to him. Everybody here has something to give God the glory for. Make sure you give it to him. So moving on, it says, verse 20, it says, then the three companies blew the trumpets and they broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hand, the trumpets in their right hand for blowing. And they cried the sword of the Lord and Gideon, just like Gideon told them to. Verse 21, every man stood in his place all around the camp and the whole army ran and cried and fled. And I want you to notice they just stood there. So these men are at the top of the thing and they didn't run down. Every man stood there. Once they broke the torch, once they broke the pitcher and the light was shining, they were blowing the trumpets and yelling the sword of the Lord. He said they stood there. Every man stood in their position. The people looked surrounded. And it says that the whole army ran and cried and fled in verse 22. And when the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And the army fled to Beth Acacia towards Zaria, as far as the border of Abel, Mahola and Taba. And I just want you to note the phrase and it says the Lord set every man's sword 
against his companions. They don't got weapons, but God has done something in their midst where every man is stabbing his companion. And we don't know if they got confused, if they saw the fire, they're like, what was going on? You know, we don't know if they killed each other because like, I'm going to kill you so they don't kill you or whatever. But the Lord said, it said the Lord set every man's sword. So, so who, who destroyed the army? The Lord did it. And that's why he could do it with 300. He could do it with 300 because he was going to be the one to do it. That's how come he didn't need a big army because guys, I'm going to do it. I don't need a big group. I just, I'll do it with 300 guys. Stand there, hold your pictures, blow your trumpets, yell real loud. I'm going to wipe them out. You're going to watch. Now, I want you to imagine for this 300 guys, how cool was it for these guys to watch the, like what the Lord was doing? I mean, what was the night sleep the night before like for them? What were they laying up thinking about? You know, I mean, Lord, I just tell my kids, no, I love them, you know, but my wife, I, I hope I was a good dad. I hope I hope my I left them strong. I mean, what were they laying there thinking about? We don't know. I bet they were scared. I had to be, you know, I bet they were all sorts of thoughts. But now they're standing there in obedience to the Lord, holding a picture. And again, these were they were part of the 10,000 that didn't go away scared. They're the 300 left over after God whittled the rest of the army away. And they're still there. And these guys are standing there watching the Lord just wipe out 135,000 people. As they stand there obediently holding a picture. Now, I bet as they were watching, I wish, you know, some of these I wish you could have, I wish we could have video of it, you know. I wonder if the yelling got more excited as they were like, look at, he's doing it, you know. They, if they were blowing the trumpets louder, we don't know, but they were there and God was wiping out this army before them, just like he had said. God was bringing about a great victory. And you, I read this story and I, my mind just thinks of all these other scenarios in scripture where God sets it up to where, it's going to be it's going to require his hand to be at work. That's not going to be something natural. It's not going to be something God does. One scenario is in the book of Second Chronicles. King Asa was made king. And when he stepped into his position as king, the people before him, his parents before him, they had allowed idolatry and things to run rampant. Asa was a man of God. And when Asa stepped in, he went to work. He kicked his grandmother out from being queen mother because she had idols I mean, he kicked out granny, you know, I mean, he went in and cleaned house. He tore down all the false altars that they had erected and put up everywhere. And he went making things right. This is Second Chronicles chapter 14. But then it says that the Ethiopians came out against him. And it says that Asa had an army of 580,000 foot soldiers. That's a good army. But it says the Ethiopians came out against him with an army of one million. Plus, they had chariots. They had 300 chariots. So he's outgunned. They got a million men plus chariots. Chariots would amount to tanks in that day. And they had 300 tanks. And then Asa prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, it is nothing for you. Rather, there are many or few. Nothing for you. And he just he prayed. He gave it to the Lord. And it said this. It says, and then the Lord sent them out. And it says, the Lord slew the Ethiopians before him. Now, interesting in that story, it was their swords. But God did it. God said he slew the Ethiopians before them. They had a victory because God did it. God went before them. God fought the battle. God won the war. God did it for them. And so what do we take from these Old Testament stories and lessons? You and me are not going out to fight wars tomorrow in a physical sense. Amen. I hope not. I hope you're not out there you know, sticking people with swords and fighting and whatnot. We're, we're not out there having physical fights, but we are, at, we are in a battle. We are at war. We are needing to operate in faith. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. 
but they're mighty in God to pulling down a stronghold. And so we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual war. We are exercising spiritual gifts and using our spiritual weapons in the war that we're in. And for everything that God wants to do in our life, it requires faith. We've got to become people that will just believe God and be in the word. You know why? Because it says in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to grow in your faith? Be in the word. That'll grow your faith. How does how? How does reading the word grow your faith? It's as you read the word that you God is ministering to your soul, ministering to your spirit. Many times my faith is encouraged through the reading because I'm reading and God is speaking back to me. I was praying about that and God's like, bam, I got that for you, son. Many of us have been set free by the word of God. But, you know, you remove the word. I don't have nothing to give people. I don't believe in anything else. I don't believe in I don't believe that anything else can really help. I used to work at a teen. It was a teenage group home. And there was uh, girls there from the Department of Probation, Department of Mental Health and Department of Children and Family Services. And they lived there either because they had beat their parents up and couldn't go home or their parents were in jail or their parents had beat them or they had mental cases and meds and everything else. But there were girls ages 12 to 18 that lived at this place. And I remember when I was there, I would, you know, I was a Christian when I was there. And I would look at how they would treat these kids. The kids were worth money. They, they took money off of these kids. But they would send them to counseling and send them to the therapy and send them to this. And I would talk to them, you know, and I'm like, that ain't helping these kids. I had a girl, this one girl there that had been molested from age, her earliest memory, it said on her file, from age 0 to 12. Her parents were both heroin addicts. They, they tricked out their own daughter. And so her whole life that she's been used and abused. And so she came at 12, but she was a a hardcore 12 year old and she was, you know, giving it to all the lady staff. And she just she just knew exactly what to say to cut them down. She talked about they wait, talk about they whatever. She was just breaking them down. So whenever you were mad at a kid, you were supposed to go read their file and just at least have some compassion, figure out where they came from. And I remember reading her file and I just said, there is nothing they can offer her to help her. And I just I remember there's another brother there named Dion that was a Christian. I just said, you know what, man, we just need to minister the gospel to these kids like this is not going to help. And we started doing it. Uh, I went and got the rule book and the rules said that you could not proselytize the kids. And that meant that I couldn't I couldn't instigate a conversation about God. But all the kids come from juvenile hall with a Bible. So I told them, well, I'm, I'm a Bible teacher. So if y'all happen to be reading your Bible and have questions from the Bible, what would normally be bedtime, you guys can have an extra 30 minutes to ask questions. I'll take your Bible questions. So as kids are, don't nobody want to go to bed at bedtime. So we would have the, the hallway would be lined up with kids. like I got a question. I was reading this. And we would just answer the questions. All that to say, I would look back to that and I would think, God, there's nothing that can help them. There's no there's nothing that man can offer them to help them. They need they need God. And. That's who's going to help that kind of hurt that they have. Only only God can meet that hurt. You can't therapy that out. You got to Jesus has to invade a heart and minister to that. And so for me, that was one of those things where I I, I began there in faith, just saying, we're just going to do it. And we encountered a girl that was possessed. And we me, my brother, another we found another lady Christian. We all went into the room because we had to have a lady shut the door and they thought we were restraining her. We were holding her down just to pray, to pray that the Lord would deliver her from demonic possession and I did that until I couldn't take it no more and then I I had to leave and you know that was what set me up for youth ministry was doing that job and just saying you know there are people out here that need help and secular help is not helping them these girls when they turn 18 and they're no longer worth money get put out and the Lord's like the Lord don't put people out you know he's going to continue to minister so 
I share all that with you guys because as we're reading this and we're looking at this man's faith, and we're looking at what God wanted to do through him, I'm believing that God wants to do something through every single person. And what if everybody was in tune with the Lord, what the thing or two that he wants you to do, and we were operating in faith, that God, I know the thing you're calling me to do is bigger than me, but I'm going anyway because I believe in you. And we were all stepping out like that. Like, what would God do? What would all the different things be? Because we're all different. And for some of you guys, it'd be different ministries or various gifts. There's all these different. What if all of us were just doing it? Look at how many needs can be met. Ministering to those that are hurting, building up people, teaching, training. We'd all be doing something that, that mattered in the kingdom of God. And we'd all be doing something. Get this. We'd all be doing something that God could get the glory. Because people would look at what you're doing and you would be pointing to the Lord saying, I couldn't do this. I could never do this without him. He's doing this through me. We would all have our hand to something that would glorify God. And maybe some of you are doing something right now that God gets the glory for. Keep, keep doing it. Keep doing it in faith. Keep taking steps of faith. But maybe God's encouraging you because you're not yet doing something. And if you can look at the, the scope of your whole life, and I want you young people to really consider. If you look at, look at a week, take seven days of a week. And considering that seven days, what do I do in seven days that matters to God? Because we all do stuff every single day. But think about in the scope of my life, how much of my life matters in eternity how much of my life will God look at and say that matters that matters that matters because y'all know there's things we do that don't matter and you got to make sure that your life does not comprise primarily of things that don't matter you know if your life is 80% hobby and the Lord get a tithe of your life that's a wasted life you know if you spend in the best of your day the best of your life the best of your week doing something that God would look down and say I, I can't even use that it doesn't glorify me I'm not even involved in it. There's no way that that helps my purpose. It's just something you like for you. I believe that Satan tricks a lot of believers out of their effectiveness by filling up their life, their time with things that don't matter. Be careful. Be careful about it. Because you read scripture, you look at those that made a difference. They were given over to the Lord, all given over. And we can fill our lives up with these little things. And they're not bad things. They're just little dumb things. And you look at a week and just say, man, I spent this many hours doing that. Dang. And I can't get that back. It's gone. And I spent this much time focusing on that. That doesn't matter. Make sure that there's a good portion of your life that's focused on what the Lord wants. Amen? Amen. 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 So let's wrap this up. So they, it says, when the 300 blew their trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companions throughout the whole camp. And the army fled. Look at verse 23. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh and pursued the Midianites. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize from them the watering places as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. And they would take the watering places because that's where life would always center around where you can get water at because you can't live without water. And so that's why they were capturing those. Those are prime locations that they were capturing first. Then it says, it says, and they captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb, whose name means raven, and Zeb, whose name means wolf. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. And so as we end this chapter here, the Midianites have a great victory. They defeat the Midianites like God said. They take the princes and they cut their heads off. And that seemed kind of gory to us, but that was the culture back then. When you would bring back to the person in charge, you know, you bring back the head of, you know, there, he's done. You know, remember when David killed Goliath? 
And he took Goliath's sword and he chopped off his head and he held it up so he could take it back to all the Israel and say, we got him. You know, this is his head. You, 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 if you see me holding his head in your hand, you know this guy will never be a threat to you again. So as these guys have Oreb and Zeb's head, they're like, these guys are giving you a hard time? <laughs> no, no more. You know, they had them in their hands and that, that, that meant that we are victorious. These guys are not going to be a problem to us anymore. That's why they would do that. Uh, it wasn't just to be gory or nasty, but it was a, it was a pretty vivid symbol of victory. And so... For you and I, what can we take from the story of Gideon? I, I think we have to take away that God wants us to be people that walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? Amen. God wants us to be people that believe him for great things. Gideon was put in a predicament. God said, Gideon, believe me, man. Trust me. Trust me beyond what you can see. I'll, I want to do great things. I want to deliver, and I want to deliver through you. And Gideon was, you know, he knew he was weak, and he was scared. He was everything else. And this is the great thing about the story. God doesn't care about what you technically, what you bring to the table. Um, God's like, I'm, I'm not looking for the strongest or the wisest or the, all the things that we offer as excuses. Well, I don't know enough. God's like, that's perfect. I haven't been doing this long. God does not qualify people based on what we bring to the table. God's not looking saying, you know, how smart are you? You know, were you the smartest in class at school? Okay, I probably can use you a lot. Many times God is saying, you know what, I, I want the weak things of the world to confound the wise. I'm not looking for the best of the best. That doesn't put you down if you're smart. It doesn't put you down if you bring that. You could be smart and sold out to the Lord and full of faith and God will do amazing things to you. Paul was no dummy. Paul was sharp as a tack and the Lord used him. He was surrendered all that smart to God. I'm just saying that you don't have to come to the table with a whole lot. All you have to come to the Lord with is a heart that believes in him. A heart that's sold out to him and surrendered to him. Second Chronicles 16.9, God says, the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. And just could we be a people whose hearts loyal to the Lord? God, we're sold out to you. And so one, I believe God wants us to be a people of faith, the people that trust him. Number two, I believe that God wants us to be people that give him the glory, that that we glorify God and God gets the glory for the things he's doing in our lives, that we wouldn't be eating up all the glory, that we wouldn't become people that are, you know, that we're soaking up all the glory for the good things God is doing, but that we be people that as God does great things in you and for you and through you, that we would be faithful to point right back to him, that God would get the glory for the things he's doing in our lives. And lastly, as we look at them, go to war and realize that God put them out there. God set them up, but God went and did all the fighting. I just think it's got to be we have to all remember as we're doing something for God that it's not really you going to be the one doing it. God's going to do it through you. As you yield to the spirit of the work of the spirit of God in your life, God will do it through you. It won't be of you. God will do it through you. We, we just have to be yielded to the spirit. And what does that mean? I, just wanna, I don't want to just give out these, these words and not explain how it works in a practical sense. What does it mean to be yielded to the Spirit? It's the last thing I'm going to say, and I'm going to pray. It, to be yielded to the Spirit is this. The Spirit of God lives in every believer. If you're born again, God's Spirit lives in you. He's at work inside you, convicting you, speaking to you, bringing Scripture to remembrance, telling you don't do that, it's, you know, telling you to do certain things. Being yielded to the Spirit means that day by day, moment by moment, over the course of my day, as the Spirit is speaking, is leading, is guiding, is convicting that I'm yielded. God's leading me to go. God, I'm going to go. God is stirring your heart up to do what you're going to do. God is convicting you and pulling you back saying, stop that. Get away from that. Then you yield. God, I'm, I'm going to stop that. I'm going to get away from that. And it's just as we, as we yield to his spirit, 
That's what it is to be filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit. And it's in that place as we just yield to that word. That's I'll do it. I'll do everything through you. It'll be the Spirit that tells you to go out and do something you can't do. And as you go out to do the thing that you can't do, you'll find that as you get there, God will do it through you. We're so glad you joined us today on A Transforming Word where Pastor Bill has been working his way through the eventful book of Judges. In this book, you hear about men and women of valor and courage who were willing to risk their lives but put their faith in God to the test. Gideon is just one that comes to mind as he asked God to show him what he should do, and God showed up mightily. God delights in seeing your faith go big. Do you believe God for big things? Or do you sink into believing that it's too difficult for God? God just waiting to see you ask and trust Him for things in faith. Maybe you'll have a faith story that equals some of these people in the book of Judges. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're in the area, we love to see you in person. We have services on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m., and a midweek service on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. You can also find us online at calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. Under the teaching tab, you'll find links to our messages. While you're at the website, why not download the mobile app? You'll get access to all our messages so you can have them on the go. If you haven't found what you're looking for on our website, Feel free to call us at 310-245-4811. That's 310-245-4811. Our time with you is up for today. But thanks for listening. We look forward to next time as we hear a transforming word.